Well, it is a joy to welcome you uh, here this morning, those who are uh, here at our 930 service, as well as those uh, at the cafe and those attending the well today. Uh, We are uh, in the fifth week of a series that is based on this conviction that we all have a story worth sharing. And in August, when we were putting this series together, excuse me. We planned six weeks, uh, knowing that we, we felt like there was five messages we wanted to share and we wanted to leave a weekend open for someone to come and share their story, but we didn't know uh, at that time who, who that would be. Uh, and then in September, I went to uh, the community prayer breakfast. If you don't know, here in Mansfield, uh, a couple weeks after the beginning of the school year, uh, each year we have a prayer breakfast. There's a speaker that comes. And uh, this year they invited uh, Dr. V, uh, superintendent of schools here in the uh, Mansfield School District, to come and share. And, of course, they did that for many reasons. They did that because, as many know, he is retiring this year uh, as of February 2020. Um, after 38 years of, of uh, service in public education, 20 years uh, serving as a coach and an English teacher, 18 years uh, serving uh, in administration. He came to Mansfield um, in uh, 2009 and became the superintendent here in 2013. In 2017, he was named the Region 11 Superintendent of the Year, and that same year, he was a top five finalist uh, for that very prestigious award uh, in the entire state of Texas. Uh, so there's many reasons uh, for, uh, for someone to, uh, to invite someone like Dr. B to come and share. Uh, but, but we had a specific kind of story that we wanted uh, to have shared in the context of this series. A few weeks ago at our Celebrate Recovery service, uh, they had a guest speaker. And the way that they introduced him and talked about his story and what he would share is that he was a member of the mafia. Uh, and then he became a, a drug addict. And then he became a follower of Jesus. And, and I want to make sure that, you're, that it's clear, that's not Dr. V's story, okay? <laughs> and, and stories that have uh, such dramatic turns in them, they're, they're inspiring stories. And, and we love hearing those stories. They're good for us to hear. But they're also stories that we hear, and, and I know some of us think to ourselves, well, I'm not a former member of the mafia, or at least I hope that's what you think to yourself. I don't know. Um, so maybe my story isn't as valuable because I haven't had such dramatic turns. And so at the prayer breakfast, uh, Dr. V shared his story. And, and so I've, inv- I've invited him to come because what he did that day was he, he humbly, uh, he honestly, and he just sincerely shared his story. Uh, and his story is one that I think will resonate with your story. Uh, and so as you listen to him and as you're blessed by what he has come to share, I also want you to think about your story. Uh, remembering that your story is worth sharing uh, and, and your story uh, has the power to, to make a difference in the lives of others. And so will you join me in welcoming Dr. V today? Thanks, Kevin. Good morning. So there's got to be some irony in the fact that Kanye West is preaching in Houston and I'm, I'm up here. I don't... I don't know exactly what that means, but I don't know. I, I, I just think it's ironic, and my dad would laugh about this whole thing. So one of the things that um, I always like to do before I speak um, is I like to get our elementary kids um, to, to write letters telling me what I should say um, when I'm speaking. And so at the prayer breakfast, I did that, but I also do it for graduation. So here's a couple of examples of what kids have written 
that I should say to our high school graduates. Dear seniors, always stay positive and don't go to bars and do illegal things. <laughs> if you go to college, take me with you. I don't want to go to school here anymore. <laughs> I'm tired of waking up early. So my advice to you graduates is that you should wait a long time to get married and have kids. My parents had me when they were really young and now they can't have fun anymore. <laughs> so, dear graduating seniors, Remember to say thanks to your parents. They are the ones who have been paying your bills. When you get a job, a great thing to know is that your boss usually won't accept a note from your mother. If you go to college, be on time for your classes because the last thing that you want is for the professor to know your name on the first day of college. All right, listen carefully because this is very deep. Be decisive, right or wrong, make a decision. The road of life is paved with flat squirrels who couldn't decide. Okay. And then my favorite was, when I grow up, I'm going to get my own apartment and live there. But no matter where I live, I will always go home to see my mom. My mom likes to party. So, so, so. so I, ask, uh, I ask the kids to also write letters for the, um, for the prayer breakfast. A little bit different, what should I say to a room full of pastors? So I heard you're going to be speaking to a bunch of pastors, so I thought that I would share some good advice. You should dress nice and make a good impression. Make sure you appear with a bright smile. Make notes on what you're going to say the night before so that you don't forget stuff and embarrass, your, embarrass yourself in front of people. Okay? <laughs> I hope you do an amazing job, Dr. V. The night before... Do one of your favorite things like yoga. It will help you relax. I think you should wear a fancy hat. I go to a Catholic church and our preacher likes fancy hats. <laughs> and then two more. Uh, ask the preachers to please come to my school. There are some kids here that really need some help. <laughs> and then tell them that you love Jesus. That will make them happy. And happy people have better digestion. So there you go. So it's always good at a prayer breakfast to have better digestion. So my story, I, um, I have had opportunities to tell this story a few times and one of the beauties of it is I always meet new people who either grew up near me or had a very similar experience. So I'm gonna share my story with you. So this is my family. Uh, my youngest son Trey is a graduate of Oklahoma State, works for Mauser in the marketing department. That's my wife Cindy, she's sitting right over there. Um, we met at Baylor and we've been married 36 years. And, and if, if you know Cindy, she loves being the center of attention, right Cindy? No, that's humor. Um, so to this day, I always get asked the same question whenever I introduce Cindy to anybody. Like, was she one of your students? <laughs> no, we met at Baylor. She wasn't one of my students. This is Jason. He is um, graduated from the University of Colorado uh, with a degree in music business and he works in Denver for Comcast. And that is a man bun that's following him. That's a different story. He lives out of state. So I don't have much control over that. And this, this is Chris. Chris, um, our oldest, graduated from Baylor um, with a computer science degree and works and lives in Waco. So this is them when they were younger. So the best story that I can tell you, and you, 
the best story I can tell you about my children is they're all very different. Cindy and I are shocked that we produce such varying in the, the scale. So I was a teacher and a coach for 20 years before I moved into administration. The last 10 years I coached at Brock. Brock is just west of Weatherford and it is a basketball school. They didn't even have football program at the time. Huge basketball school, small school, 26 kids in the junior class. And that was everybody. And they just moved collectively. There were 105 kids in the high school when I went there. One school served kindergarten through 12th grade. Cafeteria was three grandmothers who just cooked. They were awesome. I mean, that was, that was, our, that was the way we did it. And so, um, so our arch rival was Lapan, 18 miles just due south of Brock. They didn't play football, so it was just basketball hotbed. And uh, the rivalry, North Carolina, North Carolina State, Texas, Texas A&M, SMU, TCU, um, Auburn, Alabama, you know, it's kind of that, that big rival. So one year we were both really, really good and we met in the um, regional finals at McMurray University. Seats 2,200 people. There were 3,000 people there. Huge game and we came out on fire, kind of like Baylor did last night. Just came out on fire. And then we had the same second half that Baylor had. And so we go from winning to losing in overtime. Worst experience and the wheels came off. I mean, just missing layups, missing free throws. And so we lose in overtime. I look up, our school board, the Brock school board members are up there. They're having an emergency meeting trying to fire me as the coach. <laughs> Parents are crying, the seniors are crying, everybody's crying, it's very emotional. Um, it just, and I'm just devastated. And so my oldest son comes up, gives me a hug, and says, Dad, I'm so sorry. Gives me this the biggest hug, because he's old enough to know that his dad is hurting. Um, Trey, the youngest, comes up and goes, Dad, I'm starving. Do you have a Pop-Tart? <laughs> and then hands me a Hot Wheels car and says, hold this for me, and goes running off. Okay? So I'm walking turn and go down the hallway, long hallway to the locker room to start talking to my kids. And Jason, the middle child, is in there and he's got a game of wall ball going. And he looks up, sees me walking down the hallway and he looks at me and goes, Dad, you're a total loser. <laughs> so that's what it's like raising three boys. <laughs> so there you go. So those are my children. So, so this is the house I grew up. I grew up in La Mesa, Texas, 60 miles south of Lubbock. Uh, Farming community, dry land farmers, um, and this is the house I grew up in. I moved into that house, my dad bought it for $12,800 and put it on a 30-year mortgage. And I didn't know we were poor. All I knew is I always had a place to come home to. I always had a place where I was welcome. I always had a place where my parents were married for 56 years, where I went home to a stable environment. I shared a room with my brother, but I had my side. I had my side. And I just always felt safe. I always felt loved. And no matter how bad things got, I always had a place to go. My sister still lives in that house. Um, and I'm compelled to just every now and then when I'm out in West Texas, I just need to drive by and, and see where I was from. This is not my middle school. 
Um, we had seventh and eighth grade in La Mesa, but I couldn't find a picture of it. The, the original building was torn down and replaced with a newer model. Um, but this is as close to the picture as I could get of it. <clears throat> it was a three-story building with stairs that went up just like that. And at the start of seventh grade, my dad took me to school, first day of school. And I couldn't understand that because my dad never took me to school because he had to be at work at seven. He was a warehouse worker, kind of a, a laborer. And um, for him to take off, it was a big deal, especially during that time of the year. But my dad took me to school. And as we drove and I got closer to the school, I saw police officers there. That was really unusual. And I saw big crowds and a traffic jam. Now, if you've ever been to La Mesa, Texas, you know, there's no traffic jam. If two, you know, two, two people in line at Sonic is a traffic jam in La Mesa. And so, but my dad um, pulled up and there were police officers and there were men everywhere. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And that was the day um, that La Mesa Independent School District integrated for the first time. There were men that were fighting. So I got out, my dad held my hand and walked me to the, kind of to the front door and there were some of my friends there, so I stood with them. Um, and there were other people kind of standing around and down the stairs came a, our principal, Mr. Hollis, and he looked at us and he said, boys, you need to get to class right now. And so we all kind of started moving in. Then he turned around and he looked at all the men that were out there and he said, men, y'all need to go on to work. We've got to educate these kids and we're gonna move forward. Now get off, get off, get out of here, go back to work. Act like men. You did what Mr. Hollis asked you to do. So everybody left. So I take a wrong turn and I'm kind of the last one that goes into class that day. And there's one seat left and so I sit down get out my notebook and I'm kind of digging through my notebook looking for a pencil and I feel a tap on my shoulder and I look to my right and Eddie Lee Spencer hands me a pencil and he goes hi I'm Eddie Lee and I said hi I'm Jim well I was the first white student that Eddie Lee Spencer had ever sat by Eddie Lee Spencer was the, the first black student that I had ever sat by um, and that was the day we integrated Eddie Lee and I became inseparable. Later that afternoon, we went to athletics and Coach Renson was our seventh grade football coach. And for some, we were I, like, I was 5'2 and maybe weighed 80 pounds in the seventh grade. And so he called, he set us down and he said, men, he always called us men. I never could figure that out because we weren't men for sure. <laughs> but he said, men, the person to your left and to your right and the person in front of you and the person behind you is your teammate. And you will have his back. I don't care if he's green, yellow, purple, black, white, brown, doesn't matter. We wear green and gold, that was our colors. We wear green and gold, green and gold, and you will have his back. And that was the day, that day is when I was taught that the color of your skin doesn't matter. It's what's in your heart that, that matters. When I got diagnosed with cancer, Eddie Lee was the second person to call me. And he said, do I need to come? And I said, no, I'll be all right. And to this day, Eddie Lee, if I called him, he would come. And if he called me and needed me, I would go. We've kind of gone our separate ways. Um, but we still have each other's back. 
We both went through high school together with an affection for basketball. He wound up being named, we played together our senior year for an undefeated state championship team, La Mesa. And he wound up being named first team All-State and I wound up being named first team All-State. And you know, we just, we were just like brothers. If I wasn't at his house, he was at my house. So this is a bank teller line and the, to the far left is the bank line that my father used to go through when, on payday. Back in those days, got a handwritten check from your boss and you took it to the bank and they handed you this stuff called cash. Some of you younger people might not know what that looks like. And so, um, but it was really cool. My dad got $200 take home pay a week. And so um, he, would pull, he would get the cash, he'd pull forward and he would count out 10, $20 bills. And then we would leave because we were rich on that day. And we would go to this really incredible new place in La Mesa called the Dairy Queen. It replaced the Dairy Mart. It was just an upgrade of monumental proportions. And they had this thing called a chocolate dip cone. And on payday, I got to get one. And so I always went. Well, one day in that line, we pulled forward and my dad counted out 11 $20 bills, not 10, but 11. The teller had given us two, two brand new bills had kind of stuck together. And the teller had given us $20 too much. So we drive around the bank and we pull back in line and we wait, two cars in front of us and we wait and my dad hands $20 back to the teller and says, you, you overpaid us. Um, so we pull forward and I said, dad, that's a lot of money. I mean, that's a lot of chocolate dip cones, come on. <laughs> and my dad explained to me very clearly in that way that nothing is free and that if he had kept money that didn't belong to him, the teller would have to pay the money when he balanced his books later that day. And right there in that place on that day, I learned the core value of honesty. So my grandfather started this company, La Misa de Lenning. My dad was an, a, a, a radio man in World War II in the Pacific Ocean. He was on one of those scout planes. This is before radar. So he was one of the scout planes that went out looking for the enemy. And they had one of those uh, planes that landed in the ocean that could land and take off in the ocean. So they would just go out and they would land and they would wait and then they'd get more gas and then they'd take off and they'd radio if they saw something. So after the war, um, they were in Washington DC. He met my mother at a USO show and they uh, dad started driving a bus for the city of Washington, D.C. Uh, my grandfather started this company, called, said, hey, I need your help, come, come to La Mesa. And that's how we wound up in La Mesa. But this is a, a cotton seed business. If you plant cotton, you, take, you send it to the gin, and the, the gin takes the seeds and the stem away from the cotton. Um, and then we took the seeds and we delented it and put it in sacks so that the farmers could plant it the next year. So one day I was sitting in here, right in that main office right there, talking with my grandfather. His name was Daddy Bill. Everybody called him Daddy Bill. And to, if you knew him, you called him Daddy Bill. If you didn't know him, you called him Mr. Satterwhite, but he quickly said, no, it's Daddy Bill. So a, a group of men in black suits and kind of round hats walked in. They were Mennonites that had just moved in um, to Seminole, which is about 40 miles away. 
And they said, Mr. Satterwhite, we're going to start farming. We've got land in Seminole, but we don't have the money for cottonseed. We want you to give us 200 bags of seed. We're going to go back. We're going to plant it. We'll tend the crops. And then we'll gin the, we'll gin the cotton. Next year, we'll bring the seed to you to delant. We'll sell our cotton and we'll pay our bill. And we're just wondering if you would be willing to do that. And so my grandfather, without hesitation, looks at me and says, Jim, grab, grab Juan, y'all go down to warehouse number six, stall number one, and give them 200 bags of cottonseed. Well, warehouse number six, stall number one, was our best seed. It had a 99% germination rate, which means if you planted 100 seeds, you got 99 plants. It was our best seed. It's how we made our money selling our best seed to farmers that we knew and trusted. And so I did that. And I loaded up the seed and I come back and I asked my grandfather, why did you do that? That's our best seed. I mean, 200 bags, $10 a bag, that's $2,000. And he said, well, he said, I just, those men look trustworthy. They shook my hand. And any man who shakes my hand is a man I can trust. And I think they've got potential. And so I'm gonna invest in them and they'll be lifetime customers. Well, my sister runs the dealing company now. It's, it's kind of smaller, but to my knowledge, that family is still a business in business with my sister. And it reminds me of a, of a man that used to teach um, in Mansfield named Asa Lowe. We named a school after him. He was a longtime choir teacher in Mansfield, award-winning, turned around a lot of kids. And he had something on his wall, one sign, and it said just simply this, if you don't see it before you see it, you're never going to see it. And what that means is if you don't, in, in, in Mr. Lowe's eyes, if you don't see potential in kids before they see it in themselves, you're never going to develop them to what they can be. And that's the way my grandfather was. He saw potential in his customers and he trusted men. And sure enough, the next year, they paid him back. So right there in that building, I learned the value of having faith uh, in people and believing people have potential and can be more if they just get a chance. So this is where I learned I wanted to go to college. This is a warehouse. This is just like Google Earth, a warehouse. But this outline right here is a three foot by three foot hole that was filled with concrete for a foundation. I dug that with my brother, and my brother and I didn't like each other much back then. We like each other now, but he started on this end, I started on this end, and my dad gave us a shovel and said, dig it three feet wide and three feet deep. It was awful. It was in the summer, I was sweaty, sandstorms, all that going on. But at the end of that, my grandfather and dad walked down there and said, boy, you guys are good ditch diggers. And would you rather go to college or do that the rest of your life? And I thought, well, I'm gonna go to college. So, this is where I went to high school. Um, this is where my love for coaching and teaching and, 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 and public education came. I was called a leader in this building. We had incredible teachers that I wanted to go be around. Had great friends, we were successful, our sporting teams were successful, our choirs were good. We had men and women who were dedicated and worked hard. 
And they saw things in me that I didn't know existed. Miss Simmons, my English teacher, I was reading a book called A Tale of Two Cities. And it begins, this was the best of times, this was the worst of times. You know, and for me, trying to read was the worst of times. And she came up to me, and I'll never forget this. She just gently touched my hand, and she said, Jim, um, good readers like you find that once they get to chapter two of this book, they like it. You're a great reader. Just struggle through the first chapter, and you know you're going to like it when you get to the second chapter. So I quit pouting, and I, I read. Well... I wound up being an English teacher because of that day, because Miss Simmons told me I was smart and I was a good reader. Well, I wasn't smart and I wasn't a good reader, but she lied. <laughs> what can you say? You know, so, but it worked. So, all right. so I go to Baylor, and again, I, I mentioned that Eddie Spencer and I, you know, were, were all state basketball players, so I had a chance to go play basketball at Baylor. Um, and Baylor really transformed my life. This is a picture of me playing basketball at Baylor. And what's significant about this picture is um, you can't see it, but I have on Converse All-Stars, all right? Because back then, this new company had started called Nike, and you had a choice. The coach had a choice, gave us a choice of wearing Converse or Nike. I tried those Nikes, and I thought, ah, they're never going to make it. So I was wrong, obviously, but Converse tennis shoes. So I thought I was a good player until I met this guy. So before Michael Jordan could win NBA championships, the Chicago Bulls couldn't get past Detroit on the, in the Eastern League. Vinnie Johnson was one of Detroit's best players, but he was also a player at Baylor. So we're practicing one day and kind of a help defensive drill. And Vinny had a very flat shot and I knew he wasn't going to pass. So, I, so he's driving. I leave my man. He jumps to shoot. I jump and barely deflect it. Wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a block shot. It was a deflection. And he was only about this big. And he just looked at me, shook his head. And for the next two weeks, every time I dribbled, he stole it. Every time I passed, he took it. Every time I shot it, he either blocked it, and a couple of times he caught my shot. That's embarrassing if somebody, you shoot it and they catch it, all right? And then I guarded him, he, I fouled him, or he scored, but most of the time I fouled him and he scored. And at the end of two weeks, I'm just like, I thought I was good, and I'm just like questioning, okay, can I even like walk? And so I'm tying my shoes and I look, I'm just bent over tying my shoes and these two pigeon, he was slightly pigeon-toed shoes are standing in front of me and I look up and he goes, don't ever block my shot again. And I said, I understand, Mr. Johnson. <laughs> so I called him Mr. Johnson for the rest of my career. But what I learned at that point very clearly was, um, I gotta play a role. Whatever role I've been given, I wasn't the best player. There was a guy that was unbelievable, but if I help that person look better, be better, then I'm going to fulfill a role on a, on a team. And I think about that, and I think that's one of the most valuable things that I ever learned at Baylor, was that I have a role to play no matter what organization I'm in. So if I'm an assistant coach, I need to help the head coach look better. If I'm the principal, I need the superintendent to look good. If I'm the superintendent, 
I need the taxpayers and the school board to look good that, that we're getting a good investment for the dollars that we're spending. So understanding that there's always something bigger and better than you out there, but you have an important role to fill was really, really powerful for me. So this is one of my favorite pictures with our kids. This is an exact duplicate of the vertical jump that I used to block Vinnie Johnson's shot right there. So actually, yeah, that's a joke. But it just shows where our kids are going. And how, I just love this picture because they're so much fun. It's been an honor and a tremendous privilege to, um, to serve this community as superintendent. And I, as I reflect on my story, this is the Bible verse that means the most, I think, to me. And it's just simply, and the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And I think about this church and the way that I was raised. And the reason that Cindy and I are members here is because this church shares our core values. This church helps the least of these. You know, and in a community, you can go from being somebody that, that is really in a good way and something can happen and you're the least of these for a little while. I know that if our kids are hungry, this church feeds them. If our kids are cold, this church gives them a coat. I do Meals on Wheels through our Sunrise Rotary Club periodically, we rotate but I get the meals on wheels back here in the building behind, behind us. And I take those and I deliver those to people who don't have the capacity or the ability anymore to get out of their house. They're dealing with some type of issue. And they're always so grateful to get those meals. This church was a founding uh, group of Common Ground. Common Ground helps so many people. My wife serves on the Mission Center board. Um, the, the thrift store, that's where we donate things that we don't need anymore. And I think about this church does all of that. We park over here and we come in this side door when we come to worship. And I do that for one reason is I really like walking by the Zoe board. Um, I really like seeing the things that we do as a congregation for the students and the people, the children and the people of Zoe. So the core values of this church um, match with mine. They match with the way I was raised. They match with my story. Um, and I want to continue to give back through this church. So that's my story. So.